You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and I'm delighted to be joined by a very special guest on this edition. It's the brilliant Curtis Shaw. How are you doing, mate? Welcome. All good, bro. Pleasure to be here, man. I love that intro, by the way, man. When I heard Martin Tyler, I thought I was dealing with sporting royalty there, man. Great intro. Cheers, mate. I appreciate it. I, I do get a bit of grief sometimes that it's a little bit too long, but the reason it is the length it is, is so that people can join the live stream in time. That's, That's the whole right. idea of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, mate. And before we get into it, guys, if you haven't already, head over to Curtis's channel, Curtis Shaw TV. Get over there, subscribe, like the videos. You know the drill by now. You'll see the link in the title uh, of this video if you're watching us on YouTube. So if you click on that, it will take you straight over there. Um, so yeah, get involved in Curtis's channel. Um, Curtis, we had a really good conversation the other day um, about Arsenal and, and where we're at and a variety of different subjects on your channel. If you guys haven't checked that out, head over there and uh, take a look. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Um, where are you now on the whole Mikel Arteta debate? You know, it, it turned really sour and really toxic, didn't it? Just a few weeks yeah. ago, uh, when Arsenal were on this really horrible run of form, they seem to have turned the tide a little bit. Um, some of the youngsters have come in, made a massive, massive difference. Are you now more optimistic about what the season could potentially bring for us? I mean, it couldn't get any worse, could it? So, yeah, the only way is up at the end of the day. But, um, look, I think... I'm not sure we've turned the corner completely. I think there's still a long way to go in terms of where we want to be. I think there are shoots of optimism. I think I've kind of got my head around the fact that Arteta's not going anywhere. And and once you kind of accept that, you kind of think, well, I've I've got to deal with what we've got. We've got to support him and try and and push the club forward. I think we have got the basis of a good team. You know, I think about Leno, Gabriel, Tierney, Partey. Saka, Martinelli, Smith-Rowe, Aubameyang, you know, Balogun, there are good players there. It's just we've got glaring weaknesses in the team um, with certain players. And I think when you look at the top teams, they've got very few weaknesses in their starting eleven. And I think more often than not, we're exposed because of them weaknesses. And um, I think Arteta's got a very big job on his hands. While, while I do think he is improving and he is learning on the job, I suppose the reality is we are 11th and 11th is not good enough for a football club of this size. Um, and I think, look, we're, we're, we have won the last three games in the league, one in the FA Cup. So it's something to be positive about and build on. But can we trust this team to get us over the line, go and win the Europa League, you know, go and win eight games in a row or something like that, which I think you need to do to really put us back in a position of competing. So whilst I think we've improved slightly over the past few weeks, I think we're a long way off where we need to be. And and I think we're going to have to be very patient as fans before we kind of, you know, reap the rewards of all this. Yeah, for sure. And and I always say this, and, and Curtis, you, you've played the game and I, I don't know if you agree. 
you know, talking about young players, the likelihood is that at some point you're going to see inconsistencies in their form. And whilst I think it's been made abundantly clear in the last few weeks that actually some of those youngsters deserve to be playing ahead of some of the more senior players. Do you see the last few weeks as having had enough of an impact on Mikel that he will completely shift now to only picking those guys and he will focus on them rather than trying to make this, trying to get this blend again of of a, a combination of experienced footballers and bringing some of those youngsters in? Do you think he'll go down a different route now after what he's seen in the last few weeks? See, I think he will go with the youngsters, but the problem is, often the the pressure from fans and inside the club is totally different. So we're all saying play Smith-Rowe, Saka, Martinelli, play all these young players. But Josh Kroenke might be sitting there going, well, that's all well and good, but Nicolas Pepe costs 72 million. Willian's on, you know, 100, 200,000 pounds a week. They're not just going to ignore the fact you've got players of that kind of value not playing. So, Sometimes what we're saying and what's being said in the club is different. So although I think, you know, Smith-Rowe's been fantastic, Saka's been great, Martinelli, you know, apart from the injuries, they've been a breath of fresh air. But at the same time, I don't think a big football club should be relying on young players. I think it's great for them to be in addition to what is already happening. But, you know, we saw in the Newcastle game, we didn't look like scoring and, and Smith-Rowe gets the goal. Everyone's saying, get Smith-Rowe on, get Saka on. We couldn't even afford to give Saka one game off to have a rest. We had to bring them on to sort of say, rescue the game for us. So I think there still has to be an improvement from these more experienced players because, as you said, you know, young players will hit a little brick wall at some point where you know, they don't have a good game, the final pass doesn't work. And then we do need some of them older heads to improve. I know the fan base are very against Willian at the moment. And I understand why he's a former Chelsea player. You know, in in essence, the deal didn't make a lot of sense giving a 32-year-old a three-year deal on a big wage. But we need to get something out of him. If he's not going to be sold, which is very hard to sell him, you know, in the current market with, with that contract... We do have to actually try and get something out of a Willian or out of a Pepe or, you know, these players have to offer something because, you know, as uh, MB Guna saying, they're saccharine players, like that, they'll, they'll get burnout. You know, they can't play every week at that kind of standard. So whilst I think it's great that the youngsters are doing well and, and I'm all for it, and, you know, these experienced players do have to step up a little bit as well. Yeah, agreed. And when we're talking about the experienced players that haven't necessarily pulled their weight this season. I think we can all agree that we're generally talking about the forward players, right? Um, And some of the midfielders, because defensively, I know our defensive record still isn't great, but, you know, you look at some of the experienced players at the back, Pablo Marie's come into the side. I think he's done really, really well. I think Rob Holding's improved a lot. Um, I even think that David Lewis has done okay when he's come in at centre-back as well. You you don't look at that back line and say they've been the major problem for Arsenal this year. It's very much been in those attacking areas, the inability to create chances, the lack of goals, um, the lack of threat, really. And so, you know, we, we are, I would say, looking at the, the forward line more specifically when having this conversation. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think we've got a great defence, but when you look at the goals conceded, I I believe we conceded less goals than Liverpool this season. So, you know, statistically, it looks like defensively we're okay. 
I think a lot of the time our midfield exposes our defence by not protecting them. Um, I think when Thomas Partey is not in our midfield, I would go as far to say, Harry, that I'm not even sure that's a top 10 midfield without Thomas Partey. You know, I, I looked at that midfield the other day against Newcastle. You know, it was Joe Willock and El Nenny. It was, it was really bad. And then Xhaka came on. Xhaka played a nice pass. But overall, we can't rely on those midfielders. They don't score a lot of goals, create a lot of chances. And they don't protect the back four very well. They leave them exposed. You look at the attacking players, as you said, you know, Aubameyang's been going through the motions this season. You know, is that form? Is that the lack of creativity? Has he actually hit a point in his career where he's lost a bit of pace? And then obviously Willian has, has been a terrible signing up to this point. Although I, I, I'm still kind of trying to get my head around why he's been so poor when statistically he had his best season ever in a Chelsea shirt last year. 16 goal contributions last year at Chelsea. Um, and Pepe, of course, you know, we've spoken about him at length. We just, we can't quite figure out what the issue is with Pepe. Is he not good enough? Is he not adjusted to the league? So, yeah, I think in general, it is the attacking players that have um, have fallen short for us. A lot of those games where we've dropped points, if we look back, we've actually had chances to score goals before conceding. So, yeah, I think I think the onus has to be on the attacking players. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, big shout out to everybody joining us live in the chat at the moment. Um, if you're interested in becoming a member of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, click the link in the description. Truly overwhelmed by how many of you have signed up in the last couple of days. It's been unreal. Um, and if you have signed up and you haven't joined the Discord server yet, make sure you do that as well. The link is in the community tab. There's less of you in that server at the moment than there is members. So some of you are missing out on something that you're... Um, essentially paying for guys. So uh, take it up, use it. Um, and let's, uh, let's have some conversations on there as well. Um, a quick reminder as well, if you haven't already head over to Curtis's channel, subscribe, uh, like his videos, you know, the drill by now, some really great content uh, coming from Curtis on a regular basis. So head over there, check it out. Um, if you've got any questions as well in the live chat, hold on to them for a little bit. We're going to do a bit of a question session towards the end of this stream, but I'm just conscious of the chat updating and me losing them, not being able to find them afterwards. Uh, yeah. So keep hold of them and we'll get them a little bit later on in the stream. Uh, let's read this comment out from Tazel. How you doing, mate? He says, it's hard because we're a massive football club and have enjoyed success for many years. The problem started from the Wenger era with letting big players go and signing terrible players. We still haven't recovered. As fans, we are emotional, reactive and want to be at the top level again quickly. We have to be patient and go through this transition phase. We have to accept that until Arteta and Arsenal as a club can get rid of the dead wood and bring in new signings and youngsters, we have a lot. Oh, the comments cut out. The comments cut out. It's too long. It's too long. <laughs> um, I'll pick it up from Facebook in a second. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, really, really good points up until then. Um, Curtis, let's discuss, obviously, I know it feels like we talk about him so, so much, but it, it seems like an exit for Mesut Ozil is... is closer than ever. Uh, the Fenerbahce uh, president coming out and saying that a deal is, is closer than ever. It seems like that is imminent. It feels like it's just a case of crossing the I's, dotting the T's, trying to make this happen um, in January rather than in the summer. Mesut Ozil did a Q&A session yesterday on Twitter and I think a lot of people expected him to come out and expose things and talk. that was never going to happen. Yeah. You know, Mesut is a PR king. And um, 
that's exactly what he did yesterday. But I just want to share this one particular tweet with those of you watching. And I'll, of course, read it out uh, for those of you who are listening via the audio platforms as well. He was asked about Emil Smith-Rowe. The question was put to him, your views on Emil Smith-Rowe. And he replied with, he made the difference in the last couple of games as a number 10. Really happy for him that he showed that playing with a number 10 can still make sense in today's football. I think we can all agree. Uh, uh-huh. on the wind-up there, hammering home the point about a number 10. Yeah, But it is true to a degree, isn't it, Curtis, that actually Arsenal have looked a lot better with a number 10. So maybe does he have a point with that? I think he's just trying to, you know, he, like you said, he's a PR king and, and everyone's kind of said before, aren't they, that, you know, our oh, number 10s are finished, you know, they've got no use. We have to play a three-man midfield. So, you know, the fact he's using number 10 there three times in that short time, uh, I think he's letting you know that maybe he feels like there was a use for him in this team. You know, having, before Smith Rowe came in the team, we hardly created clear-cut chances and Ozil's probably sitting at home thinking, you know, why am I not getting an opportunity in this team? So, you know, I I, I get what he's doing there and uh, I'm not surprised that he did that either. You know, he's he's on the wind-up a little bit there. And... <laughs> he, he's definitely on the wind-up there, definitely on the wind-up. And look, as I've said time and time again, I think he's a really talented footballer. I think that yeah. we've probably wasted that talent over the last 18 months or so, not got enough out of it, maybe not used him frequently enough. But ultimately, too much has happened. The damage is done. And we just need to draw a line under this whole scenario. So for me, I would rather he goes in January now, Curtis. Are you of that, that same view? Yeah. I mean, look, you must be annoyed if you're Mikel Arteta. Every press conference, you're being asked about Meza Ozil. You know, he's not even involved in the squad. So I think if we can end it now in January, I think everyone benefits from it. I think him staying at the club until the summer, and probably not being registered at the end of January as well, I think, is only a bad thing. So I hope they get the deal done now, to be honest. Yeah, totally agree. Um, don't forget, guys, if you haven't hit the like button already, please do so. Uh, I can see there's only 42 likes, but there's over uh, 160 of you watching us across the multiple platforms at this moment in time. Uh, so please uh, help us out with that. Um <laughs> people asking what a discord server is in the live chat Uh, it's basically like a giant group chat guys Uh, so if you're a member um you get access to our discord server where we talk about all things arsenal throughout the day really um and whenever stuff comes up so uh yeah if you are a member already check it out um let's discuss the fa cup draw curtis not the ideal fa cup draw for arsenal potentially going to be facing another two premier league sides um, in in Southampton, if they overcome Shrewsbury, and Wolves, if they overcome Chorley, both of those games will be away from home. It, it's so frustrating, you know. Mikel has just had such rotten luck with the draws. You've got to have some sympathy for him, right? I mean, when you look at the the draw that we had last year, you know, um, we we won it the difficult way, shall we say? And then we're in these earlier rounds. You're thinking, no disrespect, give us. Give us a home game against the League Two side where we can rest players. But, you know, Newcastle at home was tricky. We go to extra time, beat them in the last 10 minutes. You then get Southampton away. I know they've got to beat Shrewsbury, but we'd expect them to win that. And I think Wolves play Chorley. So it's going to be very difficult. I was sitting there watching the draw and I'm thinking, yes, like Man United got Liverpool. That's one big team out of the competition. And then we get Southampton and Wolves. But... I suppose the only good thing with this is um, I think we've been half decent away from home. 
this season compared to our home form. And, you know, Wolves with a packed Molyneux is not quite as daunting as it was before. And, you know, ultimately, I, th I think as much as we look it, we'd like to think we are better than Southampton and Wolves, really, if we're, if we're playing well. So, on one hand, I think it is a difficult draw. But then on the other hand, I think in cup football, you can't avoid teams ultimately. And, and I, I kind of feel like let's let them worry about us, if you like. If we go to Southampton and get beat, then do we deserve to win the FA Cup? Not really. So it is a difficult draw, but it could have been worse at the same time, you know, if we had Man City or, or Liverpool. So, yeah, we, we've, we've got to beat what's in front of us. I've got to admit, when I was watching the draw live last night and Man United came out of the hat um, at home, I thought that is just, that is us. That's got us written all over it. We're going to yeah. get drawn away to Manchester United. But I just want to share this tweet from our editor over at the Chronicles, AFC.com, uh, Jay Bayford. And he highlights this and it's a really interesting point because it just makes it clear, doesn't it, that actually in terms of the draws, Mikel has really had some really shit luck, basically. Um, yeah. Carabao Cup, Leicester, Liverpool, Man City, FA Cup, Newcastle, Southampton, Wolves. And in the Europa League even, um, you know, at this stage, the round of 32 to land Benfica, uh, you've mm. got to be pretty unfortunate as well when you consider some of the other options that were in that draw. So it, it, it is a thing, isn't it, for Mikel yeah. Arteta, where he'll be a little bit frustrated that, you know, he could have probably got some ties where he could rest players, change things around a little bit. And it's, it's another couple of Premier League clubs. And the thing is, because of how much we're struggling in the Premier League, you know, these cup competitions could almost save our season. So, you know, when you're getting draws like that, as you said, you know, Benfica, I believe, were they they dropped out the Champions League, I think. Um, so, you know, that's it's really bad luck to get a team like that. And then obviously Southampton and Wolves in the FA Cup, it's it's not easy at all. I, I kind of think when you're having a tough time sometimes you get that kind of look. If we were third, fourth in the table, we'd have probably got Shrewsbury in the, in the FA Cup. And you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's it's not getting any easier for Mikel Arteta, that's for sure. But listen, these these players need to step up now. You know, ultimately, I, I've been very critical of Mikel Arteta this season, but I got to a certain point where I was like, do you know what? I can't just blame him. I have to share that blame to the ownership, did they back him properly in the summer? I don't think they did. You know, have the players performed enough? And, and I don't think they have. So, you know, a lot of the players have bigged up Mikel Arteta this season and they're constantly defending him. I think they need to they need to start producing in, in some of the big games as well. Benfica over two legs, it's a, it's a tough game, but I, I still think we're the better team. Yeah, I agree with that. I think on paper we're, we're still a stronger outfit. It's just... You know, you look at it and you, you, there were so many clubs in that draw that you would have preferred to play. Yeah. In, and it just feels like it's our luck at the moment that we landed at Benfica. Um, I just want to touch on uh, a couple of other bits, Curtis, before we go to the questions. So while we do this, guys, if you've got questions, spam the chat with them now and we'll come over to those uh, in the next few minutes. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, some reports that have been doing the rounds today. Again, I'm going to share my screen for those of you watching us uh, on the video. If you're listening, don't worry, we're going to explain it all. Um, a, a tweet was put out by at ZRAFC in, in which they were quoting a report from the Spanish outlet Mundo Deportivo. And they say that a source 
says Arteta was promoted, i.e. promoted from head coach to manager at the football mm-hmm. club because the Cronkies panicked. They have five franchises in different sports and Arteta has been left helpless by the decision and is having to do more than he'd have liked. The hierarchy has been reversed. Edu now has to report to Arteta. The source adds that Arteta is another victim after Raul was sacked. Arteta now has to dedicate himself to tasks beyond training, such as contacting the Cronkies to discuss renewals and signings, whereas Edu and Raul used to do this previously. Do you think there's there's truth in that? I mean, it's this has come completely out of the blue. And as I've seen a couple of people point out on social media, actually, it feels like maybe the Cronkies are getting too much good publicity at the moment. And so somebody somewhere needs to make up a bit of a story. Do you believe that our, the Edu reports to Arteta? I'm not sure on that. I mean, when you look at the transfers who've come in, you know, everyone seems to think they've got Edu written all over them kind of thing. There was, I think there was even a report saying that Arteta wanted our while Edu was kind of leaning towards Thomas Partey. So it sounds a little bit far-fetched to me um, that he would be reporting to Mikel Arteta when you look at some of them signing. So... You know, I, I'm not. I'm not particularly sure that's true. I, I mean, Arteta being promoted to manager, I thought, was quite an interesting um, decision that they made for a guy who'd only just started management. And I would have, if I was the owner, I would have kept the pressure away from Mikel Arteta. I think when you announce him as manager, you're actually putting more pressure on his shoulders. So I was surprised they did that. But in terms of this story, I I don't see a lot in that that. Um, that could be true. I mean, it's possible, but I feel like um, they're trying to make up a bit of a headline story there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm not. I'm not particularly buying that. And I've, Mundo Deportivo, with all due respect, are not the most uh, you know reliable of sources. They come out with a lot of transfer stories, as I found in the last year when I've been writing sort of daily. Yeah. Most of the stories that we've been putting out, where you think, I'm not so sure about this one. You'll find Mundo Deportivo behind them somewhere along yeah. the line. So not totally convinced on this. I think that the hierarchy at Arsenal is a, is a problem. I think that the system is yeah. broken. I don't think it's as effective and as efficient as it probably could be, but I, I'm not necessarily buying that. Right, let's go over to some of your questions. Lots coming through. Um, Alfred J says, Harry and Kurt, how much influence has Mesut, Ramsey, has Mesut and Ramsey had on people like Joe Willock, Emil Smithrow and the other youth, likewise Oba, Laka and Giroud on Eddie and Balogun. Do you feel like it is important? And again, you've played the game. Do you feel like it is important to have senior players kind of above you? And, and do you look to them for, for guidance and inspiration? I think it does help um, if they're the right kind of character. You know, you've got to think ultimately, you know, I've been at clubs where some of the older heads feel threatened by you as a young player. So therefore, they don't want to advise you and help you because they see you as competition. If you've got, you know, an older head who's sure of himself and, and doesn't view you like that, then they can be very instrumental for the dressing room. I mean, I've heard um, Aubameyang's quite a big um, character and very helpful in the dressing room. I don't really know too much about Ramsey, what he was like um, in that sense. Um, but yeah, I, f- I think if you've got the right characters, then definitely it can help you as a, as a young player coming up if you've got players that you can look to and they've been there and done it. Yeah, so 
I mean, if if Meza and Ramsey have had an influence um, on Joe Willock, it hasn't helped too much. <laughs> and, uh, and with Eddie and Kettier as well, do you know what I mean? But I'm sure they've given him a few wise words. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Let's move on to this one from Tazel. He says, where do you guys stand with Granite Xhaka? My views on Granite Xhaka, for those of you who watch and listen to this podcast, are quite clear. You know, I think he's one of the best of a not great bunch. Um, I think he does offer things to the side, but I think he has to be played with the right partner in the right system. You know, he's got limitations. Where do you stand on him, Curtis? Are you a Granite Xhaka fan? Would you like to see him partner Thomas Partey moving forward? What's your kind of view on on the, the Swiss international? Um, I, I just... I just don't think he's the answer. Um, he's been at the club for a while now. We paid a lot of money for him. And I think, ultimately, I feel like you have to babysit him to get the best out of him. You know, if you put the right, you know, you put Partey around him. He, he was quite good at that thing where, like, Saka, when Saka was at left-back and he used to bomb on, then Xhaka used to kind of drop into that left-back role um, and cover. But for me, I, I think... To be at a top club, if you're going to make it, I, I I shouldn't have to look at you and think we've got to carry you through a game or a certain system has to help you get through the game. So for me, I agree with you. I think there are worse players in our midfield than Jacob, but ultimately for me, I would like to see him moved on if we, if we could get a decent prize for him. Cool. Good stuff. Uh, let's move on to this one uh, from Omar. He says... Who would both of you get as a backup to Leno since Renarsson is clearly not good enough? First of all, are you on board with this? Renarsson definitely isn't good enough to replace Burn Leno. Harry, I'd rather you went in goal than Renarsson, mate. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I got big hands, man. You got big hands. I'm sure that free kick wouldn't have got through their hands, mate. Uh, listen, I, I think Renarsson, you know, they're talking now about him going out on loan or possibly being downgraded to third choice. Um, having watched him, what I've seen of him, I'm just not convinced he's good enough to be Arsenal number two. You know, when you when you think we had Emi Martinez last year as number two, and now we're on Arsenal, that's a massive downgrade. So, I definitely, uh, I definitely think we need a goalkeeper. Um, who they're going to get, I don't know. You know, there's been talk of maybe Matt Ryan. Is it at Brighton and yeah. a few others, Ben Foster? But yeah, an experienced goalkeeper who who is you know, reliable would be somebody I would welcome. Good stuff. Um, let's pick out another question. I'm just, if I skip past your question, I'm just trying to pick questions that are different so that we can uh, discuss as many different topics as possible. Uh, Ebby Vander asks, do we need another number 10 or will that hinder Emil Smith-Rowe's progress? See, I, I think at a top, if we're, if we're still a top football club, which I believe we are, even though we don't always act like it, I think you can't have one option in that role, um, one viable option anyway. He seems to be the only person who's worked in that number 10 role. So for me, we do need another one. Um, whether that's a number 10 or a number 8 who gets into attacking positions, but I'm just mindful that I hope they get a quality one. Uh, rather than forcing it in January if it's not there, you know, wait until the summer and get a proper player. Do you know what I mean? So, um, in answer to Abby's question, I would definitely get another creative player in, yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, and, and I'm of the same opinion. I don't want Arsenal to rush into something that they're going to regret six months down the line during this yeah. January transfer window. 
we all acknowledge that we need another one. We all understand that that is an area that this team needs to strengthen in. For me, I would hold on till the summer and and go for a a more desirable target, if that makes sense, than yeah. than just looking to plug a hole with whoever's available at this moment. Yeah. Um, Aditya asks, over the next few transfer windows, Arsenal need to generate cash. Which players would you be okay with selling if you were hypothetically part of the hierarchy? So, you know, we know that Socrates is likely to leave. We know Mustafi's going. Let's forget those guys whose contracts are coming to an end. I'll start on this one. I would sell Nicolas Pepe. I I would. You know, I'm not saying we're going to get £72 million for him, but if we were going to get £30 million for him, I'd consider doing it. I'd also sell Ainsley Maitland-Niles, not because I don't like the player, but he's not playing. What was the point in rejecting that bid from Wolves in the summer for him just to just sit on the bench every week? Can't even come in to the side during an FA Cup tie uh, where the manager made seven changes. So where does he fit in? Um, I don't know. Any sort of other players or, or do you agree with any of those players, Curtis, that kind of come to your mind? I think I think Pepe, I would... I would probably give him till the summer. I think between now and the end of the season is last chance saloon for me in, in terms of him. With uh, with Ainsley, it's a tricky one because I like him as a player, but he's just not a specialist in any position. So it's like, where do you actually play him in the team? Um, I wouldn't be against selling, you know, I would sell Xhaka. Um, I wouldn't mind Hector Bellerin going, personally, if you could get a good offer. I'd, I think you can get a better long-term right-back than him. I think you've got a decision to make on Lacazette with a year left in the summer. Turns 30 this year. He is playing well at the moment, but for £50 million and how long he's been at the club, has he been good enough? Um, so, for me, you know, and I think you could get decent money for those guys as well, you know, Bellerin, Xhaka, Lacazette. Um, you know, there's others as well, you know, Callum Chambers, I would I would let go. Um, and Pepe, yeah, in the summer, I think you would have a decision to make on him as well. So I think you could generate money by letting those guys go. El Nenny as well, probably. You wouldn't get a lot for him, but I'd let him go as well. Yeah, good stuff. Um, I don't disagree with those, to be fair uh, to you. Uh, Jashar says, do you think Eddie is being treated by the fans because Balogun hasn't signed a new contract? When the truth is, Martinelli will be blocking both. I mean, there has been this kind of shift in opinion towards Eddie and Ketia since this whole Balogun stuff started uh, coming out in the media about, you know, are we going to keep him? Will he sign a new contract? At the end of the day, we don't know what following Balogun is going to be in three, yeah. four seasons' time. You know, as 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 we've made the point previously, it could be another Tuba Akpom, it could be another Thierry Henry. You, you just don't know at this point. I feel like Eddie is getting some... Like, I don't particularly rate Eddie. He's not a player I look at and think he has a massive future at Arsenal. Yeah. That's no disrespect to the lad. I just That's where I am on him. But the treatment that he's been getting from some of our fans over the last couple of weeks or so, I think has been horrible and, and completely unnecessary. Where do you stand on Eddie and Ketia? And do you think that all the Balogun talk has had a negative impact on him? I mean, I agree with you in the sense that you know, at the moment, I don't think Eddie and Ketia is what I would call Arsenal standard. I think the benchmark's been set by the likes of um, by the likes of um, Saka, and I think you can see that Enketia is, you know, a full level below that. I do think the Balogun talk has had an effect on the way the fans look at Eddie and Ketia because when Balogun wasn't in the fold, 
I think we just looked at Eddie as oh, he's just a young striker trying to make it. We don't really expect much from him. We just will leave him there to develop. Once we've seen that little bit of Balogun in the Europa League and that that kind of aggression and power that he's got, I think it's made everyone look and say, hang on a minute, how come Balogun's not getting a chance? It's because Eddie and Ketty is blocking him. So then everyone's kind of looked really negatively at, at Eddie and Ketia and then we're hearing rumours Balogun could go. So we're all kind of going, hang on a minute, like get rid of Eddie and Ketia, you know, West Ham are being linked with him and give Balogun a new contract. But as you said, we don't know what the situation is behind closed doors. You know, Balogun, you know, Arteta says Balogun wants to stay, but his agent doesn't seem to want to. Well, as you said the other day on my show, like um, Balogun's in control of that, not his agent. If he wants to stay at the club, sign the contract. So it's very easy from the outside to make the judgment. I agree with you. I don't think Eddie is good enough. Um, but the Balogun situation, I think, you know, if he wants to stay, he'll sign the contract ultimately, won't he? Yeah, exactly. As we as we were saying the other day, he the agent works for him, not the other way yeah. around. So yeah. if, if his desire is to stay at Arsenal Football Club, if he's happy with the terms on the table, if he's happy with what he's been told with regards to game time, which I actually think is probably the biggest problem in that negotiation at the moment, as opposed to it being about finance. I think then if, if Balogun is happy, then he instructs his agent to do a deal. And it's as simple as that. So people yeah. that sit there and go, you know, the agents are poison. We all know that agents can be disruptive. We all know that agents can be difficult, can cause problems uh, in the middle of negotiations. But ultimately, it's down to the player, whether he wants to stay at the football club or not. Yeah. Uh, Guna fans, says Curtis and Harry, how far do you think Martinelli can go in the game? And do you think he can go on to be one of the best? Obviously, he's not the finished article yet. I'm really excited about Martinelli. For me, I've said it before. He's the most excited I've been about an Arsenal youngster since Cesc Fabregas, genuinely, because I think he's got so much ability, so much talent. And you know what he's got as well? He's got that South American fight and passion and desire like you used to see from Alexis Sanchez, you know, always putting himself about from Luis Suarez. And, and I really, really rate this kid. I'm worried a little bit. Um, about how he's going to recover from, obviously, this long-term injury. He's come back, he's picked up another knock, which can happen when you've been out for a long time. Mm -hmm. I just I, I worry about that side of it, though. But in terms of his ability, I think he can go to the very top. I mean, what are your thoughts, Curtis? No, I agree. I think he's he just looks like an exceptional young talent. I, I'll be interested to see what position he ends up playing. Will he stay on the left? Can he end up playing through the middle and becoming a striker? Um, but he plays on the edge and I love that, you know, uh, like you said with Alexis Sanchez, he used to get me off my feet at the Emirates when I watched Alexis and and Martinelli's got that kind of feel about him as well when I watch him. Um, as you said, he's a teenager and he's had, you know, this knee injury um, and because he plays with so much intensity in his game, you know, you kind of worry and think, I really hope he doesn't become injury prone. Um you know, the injury he's just got, he's rolled his ankle. You know, I've had that injury many times. It happens. Um, so I don't think we can necessarily say, yeah, he's, he's now injury prone. You know, when you've had long-term injuries, you tend to get little injuries as you're recovering as well. Um, but yeah, I think he's brilliant. I was so happy he signed a long-term deal. And, uh, you know, I think he'll be a mainstay in the team once he's fit. Yeah, me too. Really excited about uh, what the future holds for Gabriel Martinelli. Fingers crossed we can keep him at Arsenal for many years to come. Yeah, 
big hello to former Arsenal man Kevin Campbell in the live chat. He says, good to see you both, Harry and Curtis. How you doing, Kevin? Absolute legend. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, once again. Um, this is an interesting one. I'm going to put this to you first, uh, Curtis. This one comes from Kai. Just for fun, if in the summer we got an 80, 90 million pound bid for Saka, would you take it? That's a horrible question. That. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If it, My problem with that is we've just seen with Nicolas Pepe, you know, 72 million doesn't necessarily get you what you want, you know? So oh, 80 or 90, I've got to reject it. I've got to reject it. I, I don't think Arsenal would reject it, though. That's the thing. I think they would accept it. But I would reject it because there's no guarantees you're even going to get a player on his level if you spend 60, 70 on a player. So I would reject it personally. It's a tough one for me, this one. You know, my my heart says reject it straight away and don't even think about it, don't even discuss it, don't even consider it. But my head says if that would allow us to complete the rebuild that we need at this football club, i.e. bring in a couple of players that will really uh, enhance that spine that we're already trying to build with Gabriel at the back and with Partey in the midfield and Aubameyang up front. If if we could add those two players that we're missing to take Arsenal from being a potential top six candidate to breaking into the top four and maybe beyond, then I would consider it. It's a lot of money. But as yeah. you said, you, you know you don't always know what you're going to get in the transfer market. You can go and spend money on players and it doesn't quite work out. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting question. I would consider it, but I can't say uh, clearly whether I would take it or not. I'm going to sit on the fence here. Uh, Xander, one of our members, uh, asks, do you think that our inconsistencies this season can also be attributed to that Arteta has had no pre-season and is trying to change the way we're playing squeezed between games? That's a really good point. That is a really good point because when when I think about it, actually, he came in the club mid-season and our pre-season was, what, two or three weeks? So he's had no pre-season since he's been at the club. So, yeah, I think a lot of that is down to that, you know, trying to implement a system into players and having very little time on the training ground can definitely have an effect. And I think we've seen that. And, and I think also Mikel Arteta is learning the job himself, ultimately, so... He probably needed the preseason for himself just to slow down and figure things out. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a great point, man, and I agree with it. Yeah, it's a fantastic point. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, let's pick out a couple more questions uh, before we wrap up uh, this live edition of the podcast. That we've discussed the Mill Smith row already, but Sudanwa asks. We've been over-reliant on certain players in recent years and we're threatening to go down that route with a Millsmith-Rowe. Given he's so young, I'm concerned it might affect him negatively. Thoughts? Do you think as a young player, a Millsmith-Rowe will feel that weight of expectation on his shoulders? Or do you think he's, he's still at that point where he's just enthusiastic, willing to play? You know, do you, do you feel like mentally, I know we've spoken about physically, the mm. injuries he's had and, and the pressure and all of that. Mentally, do you think it could have a negative impact on, on uh, Emil Smith-Rowe? I mean, at, at the moment, I, I don't think it will. I think, you know, I think in his game, he just looks enthusiastic and excited. You know, he jumps on social media after the games. You know, he would have been desperate last season when he was at Huddersfield in the Championship in a relegation battle. 
to be playing for Arsenal and fans relying on him. I think at the moment he will be really enjoying it. Maybe over a longer period of time, if you know, it might weigh him down a little bit. But I think at the moment, you know, he looks like he's thriving on it. Saka looks like he's enjoying it as well. So I think Smith Rowe between now and probably the end of the season will be really excited by it. Yeah, no, good stuff. Um, let's uh, pick out just uh, one more comment from one of our members, Harry, who says uh, we should loan Pepe out now, get his confidence back, drive his value up and reassess in the summer. He's not going to improve sitting on the bench and playing once every few weeks. What's your thoughts on that, Curtis? Is that something you consider? I wouldn't loan him out personally, even though Harry makes a good point there, you know, maybe the game time and boost his confidence. But, you know, I think I think we need to deal with him, if you know what I mean. I think we're giving him to someone else is kind of like you, you sort him out. Passing the buck. You know what I mean? If you look at that right-hand side of our team, we're playing Saka there at the moment. But if he doesn't play, who are we playing? Willian, you know, I don't want him in the team. Nelson, who struggled. I think there will be a stage this season where Pepe gets games. I think he will get a run of games at some stage. Maybe Saka ends up on the left or, or somewhere else. Um, but I think Pepe's got to prove himself here. And at the end of this season, I think we need to know whether Pepe is good enough to be here or not. And I think he needs to finish this season inside the football club so we can make that decision. Yeah, I agree. I would keep him on. But it, as you said, Harry makes a great point. If that game time is what we feel or, or is what people feel he needs to get back on track, then you can understand that viewpoint, certainly. Yeah. Um, right. That brings us to the end of this uh, live edition of the podcast. My thanks to Curtis uh, for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. I'm sure the listeners have loved it. Don't forget, head over to Curtis's channel, subscribe. Uh, make sure you've done that. You, you'll be missing out on some great content if you don't. Uh, so please uh, head over there and do that. If you're enjoying what you're seeing here, click the link in the description for more information on our membership scheme and the benefits and perks that come with that. There are three different tiers. Check it out. Quick reminder, if you've already signed up, which lots of you have, and I'm massively thankful for, make sure you join the Discord server because it is part of the benefits. And I can see that some of you still haven't come over there. Not that you have to, but I just don't want you to miss out on something that you're um, that you're essentially contributing to. So please uh, check that out if you haven't done already. We're going to be back later on today with another live stream. If you're listening via the podcast, keep an eye on your uh, your feed for the next update. Where we'll be talking a little bit more uh, on the transfer front. So until then, take care of yourselves. Curtis, thank you so much, mate. No worries, bro. Thanks for having me on. Big up everyone in the chat and um, keep up the great work on your channel. Cheers, mate. All the best. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.